So it's finally time that we put together an advanced guide to work ethic for basketball. And this one's been a long time coming because what we're essentially going to do here is lay out the fundamental deep game philosophy towards hard work and work ethic and answer questions like how hard do you actually need to work to make it in basketball and give you a real answer. We're going to talk about what should that work actually look like? How should you be approaching that work? And I'm even going to give you a complete template for off-season and in-season training that you can follow year-round that will work for you. This is the same um, fundamental training template that we start all of our players off with. We've been doing this for a really long time, 11 years now. And it's also the same general template that I followed when I went from nine points per game to 24 points per game in a single summer of training. So this is by no means the only way to train when I give you this template, but it is the one that I recommend starting with so that you can make alterations to it as you become a more skillful practitioner of basketball training, learn your training process, your own individual body, and so on, okay? So this is going to be, like I said, fundamental. This is one of those concepts that you really need to know if you're going to make a real run at the highest levels of basketball. And Trust me when I say, <laughs> speaking from personal experience here, this talk can save you years on your basketball career. It can save you years. And I spun my wheels for so many years doing the wrong type of training in the wrong amount. And if I had just been given this philosophy early on in my career, things would have turned out radically differently. So. I'd like to open this up along those lines with a quick analogy that I like to give to our deep game members on um, how most players approach their work ethic. So the way that I see most players approaching their work ethic in the same way that I did when I was younger as well is sort of like a participant at a Tony Robbins concert, or, or not a concert, but a Tony Robbins event. And if you've ever been to a Tony Robbins event or you see them on YouTube, People get so jacked up. Tony's on stage like beating his chest and clapping and speaking really loudly and pumping everybody up. And at one point, um, I went to one of these years and years and years ago, probably 10 years ago now. At one point, he had, <laughs> he had a, a chunk of the crowd run in a circle around the auditorium where he was speaking as fast as they could. He had the crowd running in a circle around the edge of the auditorium. And uh, the people in the middle were jumping up and down and high-fiving each other. And it was just this big rah-rah event. And the way that most players are approaching their training is sort of along those lines. You go on YouTube and you watch motivational videos and get really jacked up and say, I'm gonna do everything. I train six hours a day and they get so, so into it. And what happens? Well, inevitably, <clears throat> after that motivational high, there's a crash. It's sort of like coming down off some sort of drug where uh, one moment you're so motivated to do all of this training that you said that you were going to do and you're going to train six hours a day now. And then the next day that motivation's gone and you're feeling like, well, that's a lot. Maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I'll just start next week. And so a lot of players are on this roller coaster to nowhere. And if you look at the typical participant at a Tony Robbins event, that's what happens. They get so fired up at this event and they're going to change their life. And then they go home that motivation fades and a week later, they're back to where they were before wondering what happened. <laughs> Why couldn't I hold on to that? So that's not the approach we're going to take. And we're actually going to talk in, in the second chapter about how poor of a source of discipline motivation actually is. We'll save that um, for a little while from now. However, the approach that we are going to take is not one of getting fired up and just trying to feel something like most people do at the Tony Robbins event. In other words, um, the emotional approach to training, the approach we're going to take is the technical approach. It's more like a scientist in a training lab. And the scientist on the flip side to that Tony Robbins participant, the scientist isn't there to feel something. They're not there to get emotional and motivated and pumped up. They're there to get a result. And to get that result, they need to do an exact process so meaning they use the exact, if let's say this is a chemist, for example, and they're doing a chemistry experiment, they need to use the exact right ingredients in the exact right amount to get exactly the result that they're looking for. And if they use too much or too little, um, <laughs> you know, things explode, bad things happen. So as a 
player who's taking the approach of a scientist in the lab of their game, in the lab of basketball training, that is the fundamental approach that we take. We use exactly the right dose of exactly the right ingredients to get exactly the result that we're looking for, no more and no less. That is the fundamental deep game approach to hard work and to work ethic. And in future chapters, we're gonna talk about exactly what that looks like and how to set that up in technical terms. But I wanna make that really, really clear. This is not going to be a motivational talk. I'm not here to convince you to do the work that you already know you need to do. I'm here to show you what that work should be and it's up to you to do it. So. Again, we're gonna cover all of this in more depth um, as we go along here, but I wanna lay out um, sort of a bird's eye aerial view for you. And as we do that, what I'd like to do is clear up a few misconceptions because a lot of this talk is gonna be cutting through some of the illusion that's cast over the basketball world with um, a lot of that motivational material. People saying that you need to train six hours a day. You need to do everything you possibly can every single moment of every single day if you want to make it in this game. And <laughs> we're going to cut through a lot of that illusion right now. And so I'd like to do this with a quick story about Kobe Bryant's time on Team USA. And so Kobe's time with Team USA stretched from 2008 until 2012. And those were the two main Olympic events that he, he played on that team for. And so in, I believe it was 2008, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James were on that team. I think Chris Bosh is on that team, if I'm not mistaken. And Dwayne Wade tells this story of <laughs> when Team USA landed, I, I believe it was in Spain, and they land late at night, everybody's really exhausted, and they all decide to go to the gym to get some work in. So they all go to the gym late at night, get some work in, Kobe's there, D Wade's there, LeBron's there, and, and so on and so forth. And then LeBron, Dwayne Wade, everybody else goes to sleep, and they wake up around 7 a.m. Maybe they got three, four hours of sleep. They come wandering down into the main hallway where Kobe is drenched in sweat, wearing his practice jersey with ice packs on his knees. Now, D. Wade at this point is like, hey, Kobe, like, what are you doing? Did you, did you get any sleep? And Kobe's like, no, I just finished another workout and I'm, I'm about to go lift. <laughs> now, at this point, D. Wade was like, whoa, that's different, okay? Nobody else on the team is doing anything close to that. We all thought we worked hard. This is hard work. And the point that I'm making here, and one of the illusions that we need to cut through right up front, is that hard work is wildly relative. <laughs> what one person, in this case, Dwayne Wade, considered to be really hard work, and I'm sure D. Wade was working really hard, what he considered to be hard work, Kobe considered laziness. <laughs> Take that in. Like Kobe's concept of what hard work and work ethic actually meant was completely different than anybody else on Team USA. To Kobe, a lot of those guys probably seemed straight up lazy, like they weren't doing nearly enough. All right. So when you hear people talk about how hard they work, you've got to actually know what that means to them and what they're actually doing. Again, the scientist in a lab does not make wild guesses and hypotheses based on other people's opinions that they haven't verified. No, no, no. They verify everything. And so when you um, get that little hit because you heard about somebody else is working really hard or so-and-so is really good, but they don't work hard at all, all of this stuff is just other people's random thoughts and opinions that are largely not verified. And so remember that hard work is wildly relative to what one person is hard work to another might not be hard work at all. And a lot of the time I see players come through, this has been going on for years. I see players come through our programs and they say, I'm working so hard, but I'm not getting any results. And then we dig into what they're actually doing and it's almost nothing. And on the flip side to that, I should say, we have many players who are working super hard, professional level, college level players who are working so hard and they feel lazy. <laughs> and so again, hard work is relative. So that's the first illusion that we wanted to cut through, but going a little bit deeper, we're gonna continue along this timeline with Team USA. And so in 2012, Kobe was uh, again on Team USA, and I believe this is the year that Blake Griffin joined the team. And Blake Griffin tells this story. He said, one year in 2012, this is towards the tail end of Kobe's career, and uh, or at least the, the really good years of his career. On this practice day, <laughs> Blake said that Kobe played terrible. He was missing all his shots. He looked tired. He looked run down. And frankly, he looked old. 
And Blake was thinking to himself, and again, this is Blake's words. He said, hey, is this like finally the decline of Kobe Bryant? Are we seeing the downfall? Like is he, has father time caught up to him, so to speak? And so Blake is thinking this to himself. And he later finds out that no, <laughs> father time is not caught up, caught up to Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant is not getting worse. He's not declining. Actually, he did a 40 mile bike ride with his trainer, who was Tim Grover at the time. He did a 40 mile bike ride right before that practice. And he had done multiple workouts earlier that day, right before that practice leading into it. And he'd got almost no sleep and he'd been training for like eight hours straight and he was just tired. And so a tired rundown overtrained. At this point, Kobe had like no cartilage left in his knees. He had broken fingers on his shooting hand. He had a like a problem with his shooting wrist. He was his body was a mess. Okay. And yet he kept on grinding through all of that pain, all of that trauma on his body, and working harder than anybody else in the athletic world, probably. So what does this story tell us? What illusion are we cutting through here? Well, we're cutting through the illusion that volume of work equals result. Did that 40-mile bike ride that Kobe did with Tim Grover, did it actually help him to play and perform better at Team USA when he was playing um, in that practice and, and you know later on in the Olympic Games? Well, I would say no, okay? That was probably unnecessary work. And again, I'm speaking from my own opinion here and... This is Kobe Bryant we're talking about, so maybe he was seeing something that I didn't see, but I'm just going to give you my opinion. Um, and actually, I'll put it this way. A close friend of mine who is a longtime Kobe Bryant fan, a really, really intelligent player, was over at my house a little while back. And this is the only bigger Kobe Bryant fan than I am that I know in the world, actually. And so he comes over to my house and we were talking about this, like Kobe's insane work ethic. And we came to the conclusion, again, just our opinion, that if Kobe had cut his work in half, he actually and and was more selective about the work that he did do. Again, the 40 mile bike ride right before practice probably isn't helping too much, but he had this drive to do absolutely everything he could. And if you hear Tim Grover talk about his time with Kobe, his biggest fight was to get Kobe to do less. And so we kind of hypothesized that if Kobe had cut his work in half, or at least cut it down, he would have had a better career. His body wouldn't have been so banged up by the end of it with like no cartilage in his knees. He probably would have performed better and been healthier over a longer stretch of time. Now, once again, this is Kobe Bryant we're talking about, so this is just my opinion. But the take-home point here is that volume of work does not correlate to result. It is exactly the type of work in the dosage, again, the scientist in a lab who, when they use too much of a certain ingredient, it blows up the lab. <laughs> we need to be exact here and very, very selective with the ingredients that we do use. So let's take this one step further and cut through the final illusion. And because we've already, to, just to recap really quickly before we go forwards, the first lesson was that hard work is relative to what one person is hard work to another person is straight up laziness, right? So we need to verify everything. The second illusion that we cut through is that volume of work does not equal result. The third one, <laughs> we need to examine or to get to the third one, we need to examine why Kobe did that. Why was he working so, um, <laughs> so insanely during this time why did he train for eight hours straight before practice why did he have ice packs on his knees at 7 a.m after getting no sleep at all and d wade and lebron were coming downstairs wondering like why is this guy still training why did he do that and as i watch you know hours and hours and hours of kobe Bryant interviews and actually hear him speak about this time he actually made a point, and this isn't the only point in his career when he did this, but every time the opportunity arose, when he was around players who could see him actually training, he made it a point that he would be training all the time and let everybody know that nobody was going to outwork him. In other words, it was his ego. <laughs> Now, that sounds pretty heroic, right, to an up-and-coming basketball player. Nobody's going to outwork me. Nobody's going to train harder than me, and I'm going to let everybody know it. I'm going to be in the gym from morning till night all day long. Well, how did that work out? <laughs> 
Kobe had a great career. He built an incredible skill set. I think the best skill set in NBA history, personally. However, volume of work does not equal result. And if your ego is driving your decision making, you are going to make mistakes. You're going to make bad decisions because we don't do the work for the sake of other people thinking that we work hard. We do the work like the scientist in a lab to get a result. And so if that is the spirit in which we're working and putting in all this work, if that's our fundamental philosophy on work ethic, that all the emotion and motivation and crazy, like um, get pumped up, bang your head against a wall and, and fired up to do everything you possibly can work day until night all the time. <laughs> if that's the approach that we're taking, we are going to make a ton of mistakes. And so once again, I want to repeat before we move into the second chapter here, I want to repeat the fundamental philosophy. Our fundamental philosophy is not one of emotion and ego, like many, many players we see coming through our programs are taking. Our approach is like the scientist in a lab, doing exactly the right work in exactly the right result, or, or sorry, exactly the right work in exactly the right amount to get exactly the result that we're going for, no more, no less. and. The analogy I'll give to you is that too much healthy food is still going to make you sick. Uh, having like a grass-fed steak that's organic with organic vegetables or, or whatever you want to have at dinner time, like that might be a really healthy meal for a lot of players. If you have three of those things, it's going to make you sick. <laughs> you're not going to feel so well and you're not going to perform well. The same goes for your training, okay? So... With that in mind and clearing up these illusions, clearing up these illusions that um, have been cast over the basketball world for so long, let's go a little bit deeper into these concepts. And in chapter two, what I'd like to do is outline the core philosophy a lot deeper. And there's really three critical points that we need to make here that are going to make up our core philosophy. And then in the third chapter, I'm going to outline a full template that follows this philosophy for you. So we're going to go much, much deeper than we did in this chapter. First, I want to take a break. So go ahead, get a drink of water if you need to stretch up, settle in, or just power right through. And we will get back to it in chapter two. Okay, welcome back. So in this chapter, we are going to outline our fundamental philosophy towards work ethic for basketball. We've cut through a lot of the misconceptions and illusions, and now it's time to really dig deep into this material. So there's really three core principles here in our philosophy. And the first one is consistency over perfection. Okay, consistency over perfection. And I shared this before in, in one of our talks called The Long Game, and I want to share this here now as well because it's really, really relevant. So during my sixth grade season, uh, I was coming out of my sixth grade going into seventh grade, and I ended that season kind of uh, in a disappointment on the end of the bench on my AAU team, watching my teammates play in big games and thinking to myself, like, I am going to come back next year and destroy everybody. And so... <laughs> I get so caught up in having the perfect training program that every day I am like designing and tweaking and making alterations to the training process that I want. I, I want it to be absolutely perfect so I can get the best result possible. And I still remember one day uh, during this summer, uh, I think it was actually in the spring, so early on in the off season, I head to the court and I start warming up for this perfect workout that I've designed. And suddenly an idea comes to mind and I say like, oh, wouldn't it be better if I did it this way? <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm back at home, upstairs in my room, redesigning this perfect training program that I designed for myself. And the one thing I'm not doing is actually training. <laughs> and so an hour later, when I get finished redesigning this training program, I think to myself, you know, it's a little bit late now. I'm, I'm going to start on this tomorrow. I'll start it tomorrow. Well, tomorrow comes around. And next thing you know, I have another idea to how to make this even more perfect. And the one thing that I don't do, even though I'm planning and tweaking and altering my approach, the one thing I'm not doing is actually training. <laughs> and so this goes on in to varying degrees. I did some training that off season, but for the most part, I didn't do training, the training that I had planned on nearly consistently enough to actually get the result I was after. And the end result is that I was slightly improved the following season, I think. But for the most part, like a lot of that just is due to my body 
body maturing and so on. Um, very little of it was due to the actual training that I did. And so it yielded me almost nothing. It was a roller coaster to nowhere. I got all fired up to do this perfect program and then it kind of crashed and I got a new idea and got all fired up and then it crashed because I got a new idea. And this happens so often with so many players, especially in the online world where today, I mean, this wasn't the case back then, certainly, but today there are probably hundreds of training programs you could choose from. There's thousands of videos that you can watch on all kinds of different training methodologies, all different kinds of drills, um, moves that you can master. There's so much information. And for most up and coming players, it is this mess of stuff that they need to take in and try to piece together to create this perfect program because you want it so badly. And that's a good thing. It's fine to want to do it the right way, but <laughs> ultimately there is no such thing as the perfect training program. The perfect training program or the closest you can get to perfect is the one that you're actually going to do consistently. And so in our philosophy, we value to a much greater degree consistency over perfection. And when I actually made the best progress in my career, when I went from nine points per game to 24 points per game in one summer, my standard for success that summer was not doing the perfect training in the perfect way and I was going to uh, show up and do every workout exactly perfectly at exactly the right time. No, it was just showing up and doing the work when I said I was gonna do it. Some workouts went great, some didn't go so great. Sometimes my weeks looked a little bit different than others. Sometimes I had to shift stuff around and play with stuff. It changed over time and like I, as I did the training, I learned more about it and kind of removed stuff and then replaced it. But I always showed up and did it. Even if it was imperfect, I did it anyway. That's when I got the best results. And so consistency over perfection is fundamental to this philosophy, okay? So I wanna drive this home, um, I wanna drive this home with a quick uh, investing analogy. And I, I think I've shared this before, but I'll share it again here. The best investors, the ones who truly get uh, build big, large amounts of wealth over time, general generational wealth, the best investors are those who invest their capital in solid long-term investments and hold on to them for the long term. They're not investors who are trying to cheat the stock market or trying to find like this perfect little diamond in the rough stock. I mean, that happens sometimes, but for the most part, the Warren Buffetts of the world, they are buying stock in really reliable companies that they know are going to grow over long periods of time and then they're holding them in many cases for decades. It's a long game and they're holding them consistently. They're not um, trying to constantly like uh, <laughs> find these stocks that are gonna explode overnight and buy them low and sell them high and, and they're not playing this game. They're in it for the long game, okay? So that is the way to approach your training. It's not to like find this perfect training program that's gonna magically transform you overnight. It's to approach it with consistency over a long period of time. That is how you're going to get there. So once again, consistency over perfection. The second fundamental philosophy, and this is where it gets um, maybe a little bit surprising for a lot of players. This is where we take a detour away from what you might be used to. Our second, uh, aspect to this philosophy is discipline over motivation. Now, I kind of hinted at this in chapter number one, but if you look at this concept of discipline over motivation, <laughs> you will find very quickly how poor a source of um, uh, work ethic motivation actually is. If you are relying on motivation to get you to the court and get you doing what you know you need to do, you are going to be on that roller coaster to nowhere. And there's this beautiful quote. Um, I don't have it written down, so this is by memory. And uh, I may get this slightly wrong, but it comes from a writer named Somerset Maugham. And Somerset Maugham said, uh, let's see if I can get this right. He said, I only write when inspiration strikes. I only write when inspiration strikes. Fortunately, it strikes every morning at 9 a.m. sharp. <laughs> so in other words, he strikes his own inspiration by disciplining himself to showing up and doing the work when he said he was going to do it every single day. 
So it's kind of a play on words and a joke. He's saying he actually doesn't wait for inspiration at all. He sits down and strikes that inspiration himself. In other words, he's valuing discipline over motivation. And if you are, if you, well, I'll put it this way. Motivation is always going to fluctuate. As motivation fluctuates, discipline must remain consistent. So in other words, whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel super inspired to do what you said you were going to do or not, you do it anyway. And we can um, use like a junk food analogy here really well. If you're relying on motivation, it's sort of like relying on energy drinks and a, a sugar rush to amp up your energy. After you eat a ton of sugar or you drink a Red Bull or whatever, you might get this rush of energy, but it's going to crash. Just like the Tony Robbins participant from chapter one who goes home and a week later they've crashed and they're wondering, where did that feeling go? How do I get it back? They're relying on motivation rather than the discipline to actually show up every single day, like it or not, and do work. <laughs> so as motivation fluctuates, discipline must remain consistent. And our, in our philosophy, we value discipline over motivation. And there's another way I can put this. Um, don't negotiate with yourself. Don't negotiate with yourself. If you are needing to talk yourself into doing the training that you know you need to do, in other words, motivating yourself if you need a motivational video to get you to the gym, these are all different forms of negotiating, of talking yourself into it. And you might notice, um, well, uh, <laughs> as an example, I've been taking cold showers in the morning every day, just about every day for um, five, six, seven years now, for a, lo a long period of time. To this day, after seven years or however long it's been, there is not a single morning that I want to get in that cold shower. Not a single morning. And every day, these thoughts run through my mind that say, well, maybe you just take a warm shower today. Maybe you don't really need a cold shower. Maybe that, that's going to shock your body. Maybe you don't need to do that. It's already like cold outside here in Canada. We don't need the cold shower. And every morning, I say to my mind, I am not here to have a conversation with you. I am not here to negotiate. I'm not here to listen to your whining. <laughs> when I say we do something, we do it. And so I get into that cold water. And yes, it shocks my system for a few seconds. And then I get accustomed to it. And then it starts to feel good. And I get out of that shower feeling much stronger and much more invigorated and enlivened than I would have if I had just taken that warm shower. And so it's, <laughs> it's a matter of not playing that game with yourself in your mind. When thoughts arise, when you start to say like, hey, um, maybe we don't need to do that workout today. We've been working hard all week. Let's just take a day off. The, the people who truly do great things consistently and do things con great things consistently over long periods of time are those who win those negotiations with themselves, And uh, not just win those negotiations, but refuse to negotiate. When that little voice in your head starts uh, <laughs> chatting you up about what would be a little more comfortable to do, you cut off that negotiation. Discipline remains consistent. Motivation may fluctuate. You may want to do it. You may not want to do it. And that's always going to be the case. Discipline remains consistent. So once again, that second core principle of our philosophy here is discipline over motivation. Now, <laughs> this third core principle um, may be even more surprising and actually might seem contradictory to the discipline and motivation uh, principle. So uh, I'm going to share this with you and then we'll share actually why these two go together really nicely. So initially you might think these contradict each other. They don't. Okay. So the third core principle is that we want to optimize for enjoyment over struggle for enjoyment over struggle. Now, when we were talking about discipline and motivation, we said like you do the work, whether you feel like it or not, sometimes that's a struggle. However, in the bigger picture, we optimize our training for enjoyment of the training itself. And <laughs> I have a teacher that once said something, uh, at the time I found it really profound. It, it really, really clicked for me. It struck me really deeply when he said this. He said that all of the practice, this is a meditation teacher, by the way, So, but this goes for any field. 
the people who really achieve long-term success and mastery in whatever field that they're in, basketball, meditation, doesn't matter. The people who achieve mastery are those who love the process of the practice itself. That is the singular factor that determines long-term success more than anything else. It is actually how much you enjoy the process of doing the work itself. Because this is a long road <laughs> with a lot of days and it's gonna seem really boring and really repetitive. And if you really want to achieve mastery, it's a matter of putting one foot in front of the other day after day after day after day. If you are doing training that you hate, stop doing it. There are so many different forms of training that you can take. There are like infinite permutations on training programs that you could use. Find the training that you actually enjoy. If it's a struggle every single day to do it, number one, you're probably not gonna do it. Number two, if you actually do it, you're gonna be miserable. <laughs> so find training that you love to do, that you love to do. And maybe that this, again, doesn't mean that every single day you absolutely love showing up and you're just thrilled to be there. No, again, motivation fluctuates, discipline must remain consistent. But, you don't have to hate the training. <laughs> you can really find this enjoyable and every master in every field, I guarantee you, you will not find a single master level practitioner in any field that doesn't deeply love showing up and doing their practice every single day, whatever that practice may be. Kobe Bryant has been asked so many times, and again, as you know, I've studied so many Kobe interviews to gain gather material for these deep game talks and uh, to build that deep game of Kobe Bryant movie we put together. And so I heard Kobe say this over and over and over again, and people would ask him, like, how were you so driven? How did you find a way to make all these sacrifices in your life and not go out partying all the time like everybody else in the NBA was doing, but like to stay in the gym? How did you do it? And Kobe would say the same thing every time. He said, it didn't feel like a sacrifice. There's nothing else I wanted to be doing. If everybody else was going to Vegas to party for a weekend, I didn't want to do it. I didn't enjoy it. I wanted to play basketball. I love the game. And I remember one interview, he said, like, people have a tendency to take that lightly. I love the game. They take it. Um, <laughs> they don't really take in how deeply he means that. And he's like, no, no, no. I love the game. I don't want to do anything else. I'd rather be on the track early in the morning, running wind sprints and then going to the gym and putting up a thousand shots and then going to the weight room and lifting. I'd rather do that than anything else because he loves the process of training. And I guarantee you, there are days that he didn't want to show up. For sure there are days that Kobe Bryant didn't want to show up, that he wasn't leaping out of bed so excited to get after it every single day at 4 a.m. No but he still did it. And over a long period of time, doing the training that he loved to do, mastery was born, mastery of this craft. And so once again, like if you need a motivational talk every single day to make yourself suffer through the training that you tell yourself you have to do, you don't have to do it. You can find forms of training that are enjoyable to you. If there's a certain drill that you absolutely hate, well, find another drill that achieves the same result that you don't hate. <laughs> you don't have to do, like there are things that you need to do. You need to put up a lot of shots. You need to work on your handle. You need to refine a set of moves that you use in games. You need to, most players anyway, need to lift weights in some form. But the way that you work on those fundamental things can be different for every player. You can optimize for enjoyment rather than suffering through things that you don't like to do, all right? So make it feel good. <laughs> make it feel good is another way to put this. And one of the, um, one of the ways that, one of the rules that I follow in my life, and I've applied that, it's taken me so many years, <laughs> by the way, to understand this and to actually start to optimize my life for enjoyment over suffering and, and um, struggle one of the rules that I live by now, I call it the 80% easy rule. And once again, optimizing for enjoyment doesn't mean the enjoyment of sitting on the couch eating Doritos rather than training. No, no, no. It's optimizing your enjoyment of the training. <laughs> so you still have to go and show up. But 
the rule that I use is 80% easy. It doesn't mean you're gonna love absolutely everything, but it should be 80% easy to go to the gym, to do the training that you know you need to do. It doesn't mean that you're not exerting, but mentally you're not like forcing yourself to do it. That last 20%, you might need to push. You might need to put the pedal a little bit closer to the floor and just like grind through that last little bit. But it should only be a 20% grind. It shouldn't be 80, 90, 100% grind like a lot of players do. You don't need to suffer and struggle. You can enjoy it. It can feel good. And if you look at it as let's make this 80% easy. Yes, I'm exerting. I'm training hard, but I'm enjoying that 80%. And then the last 20%, maybe you like struggle and grind a little bit. But that's the ratio that is going to last over time. If you're just suffering and struggling, <laughs> that is not the way to do it, okay? And it's just not gonna work for you over time. Your enjoyment of the training, and I'll also make this point, this is a, a, a deeper point. Training that you really love to do, when you really love it, your mind will be so much more present in the moment training. If you're doing training that you hate, your mind is gonna wander off and get distracted. And so the results of the training that you really deeply enjoy are gonna be so much better because your mind was so much more absorbed in the process of the training itself, you see? So that is our third point here. Enjoyment over struggle. Discipline over motivation and consistency over perfection, okay? That, those three core principles make up our fundamental deep game philosophy towards hard work for basketball. And in our next chapter, in the final chapter, we are going to outline our real, uh, our fundamental template, our foundational template that we build off of for every player. So whenever a player comes through our program, this is the template I recommend following. Once again, and I'm gonna say this again in the next chapter, once we take a break, um, this isn't the only way to train. There are so many ways that you can set this up. However, this is a way that will work for you. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what drills to use, but I will give you a structure to build your own training off of so that over time you become um, a much more skillful practitioner of basketball training. So that's what we're gonna do in the next chapter. First, we're gonna take a quick break. If you need to, get a drink of water, stretch up, settle in, come back afterwards, and we will get into it then. Okay, we're finally here. It is time to outline our fundamental template that we start all of our players off with here at Deep Game. This is going to show you exactly how much skill training, how much performance training you need to be doing in both the off-season and the in-season. And as I said earlier, this is actually more or less the template that I followed myself when I went from nine points per game to 24 points per game in a single summer of training. So this will work for you. This doesn't mean, um, and again, I'm gonna repeat myself from last time, this doesn't mean <laughs> that this is the only way that you can set up your training. It's just one approach, but it is a, an approach that will work for you. And it's the approach that I suggest building off of as you become more skillful at organizing your own basketball training. And this is a point that uh, we, we've been mentioning Kobe a lot in this, in this talk, as we probably should, if it's um, our philosophy on work ethic. He had the strongest work ethic in basketball history. So I'll mention him again here. Kobe has, uh, has talked about this a little bit in different interviews that I've seen. When he says that there is <clears throat> a huge reliance of younger players on trainers and the expectation that the trainer is always gonna know exactly what they need to do way better than they do themselves. And what he was saying is that as a player, you need to know what you need. Trainers can help you to refine that, but you need to actually become a practitioner of your own basketball training, learn this craft. And so in that spirit, I'm going to give you a foundation to build off of you need to fill in the blanks yourself, okay? I'm gonna give you the template. You need to actually insert the things that you need into that template. So what I said before is that this is more or less the template that I followed um, when I went from nine points to 24 points per game. However, the summer before that happened, <laughs> I did the exact opposite and I wanna compare the approaches there. So the summer before this happened, um, 
I once again went into the off season wanting to do everything that I possibly could to finally break through as a basketball player. And that led me to making a whole bunch of mistakes. So early on in that off season, I like scoured the internet and different uh, article indexes and online archives and training books. And I, I took in all this information and then I chopped it up, pieced it together and took the things that I thought would be most useful. And I kind of Frankensteined this approach together that included everything. <laughs> everything I could possibly be doing. There was track work and there was sprinting workouts and there was powerlifting and bodybuilding and Olympic lifting and vertical jump training, plyometrics. There was all different types of skill work. I honestly, um, for a portion of that summer, I was getting dropped off at like 9 a.m. at the gym and I would stay there all day long and I'd do my lifting in between or halfway through the day and then I'd go back into the gym and I'd get picked up at like 5 p.m. So from 9 to 5 while my parents were away at work, I would be at the gym the whole day. I was like the definition of a gym rat. I spent all my time doing this and tried to do absolutely everything I could. The net result was no improvement. My scoring average did not budge. <laughs> there are aspects of my game that improved a little bit, that got a little bit sharper. I put on a little bit more muscle, but ultimately, I like practically speaking, the results on the court in games really didn't change all that much. <laughs> and so it was sort of like I was working for this really intense boss who made me work all day long, but never paid me. <laughs> or I was working for half pay. When I followed the template that I'm gonna lay out for you, it was like I was working for double pay. Everything I did paid off in, um, you know, if I put in an hour, it was like I got two hours back out of that work. Everything was so much more potent because I, I really um, was very, very selective in the way that I went about my training. So I wanna give that quick disclaimer. As I give you this template, the reason I bring all of that up is to say that you need to resist that urge to do absolutely everything and to cram even more into this template. Start here. Don't do more, don't do less, just start right here. Don't add the 40 mile bike ride right before the workout like Kobe did at Team USA. Don't do that, start here, all right? So with that disclaimer out of the way, let's get, in, let's get into our off-season template. So Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you are going to do a 60 to 90 minute game-specific skill workout. This is going to be an up-tempo, more intense skill workout where you're doing the things that you actually do in real games for a lot of reps. <laughs> you need to know the things that you actually do in real games, of course. Like, I can't tell you what those things are, but practice those moves, those repetitions. Um, you know, Get a lot of reps in, a lot of shots up on the shots that you actually take in games, a lot of reps in on the moves that you actually do during games, and do this for 60 to 90 minutes. The way that I personally like to set it up for a lot of players is that about 60 minutes, maybe even 45 minutes for certain players, you do all of your game situation reps. And then that last chunk of time for the final 20, 30 minutes or whatever the case may be, you uh, play half court. So one-on-one, -on -one, two two-on-two, three-on-three. There's a reason we don't play, play full court because that's a really big load on your body. So we do half court, which is a, a much gentler way to approach this. And you can do this four times a week. So uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, game-specific skill workouts doing the things that you do in real games for a lot of reps with, if you can, and you have good enough competition there, um, a little bit of half court right at the very end just to um, integrate that against real competition. On Wednesdays, you're going to do a lighter repetition-based workout. So this means stationary ball handling, stationary touch and feel drills <clears throat> around the hoop. Um, these are the types of things that you might warm up with for your game-specific skill workout. So if you're doing like little touch drills um, to warm up for those main workouts in the week, you would do like a full 60-minute session of just these touch and feel drills. Lots of stationary shooting, um, you know, not a lot of heavy body movement, but just getting lots and lots of reps up in a really gentle way, okay? That's on Wednesday. So we have Monday through Friday, we're doing a workout every day on the court. And then in addition to that, what I recommend for most players is two upper body workouts per week and one lower body workout per week. The reason we do this and we set it up in this way, not two upper and two lower, 
for most players, I reduce it to one lower per week. And I got best results myself this way as well, because we are doing so much heavy lower body loading on the court. You're moving around and doing um, basically like quickness drills. If you're doing, if you're actually quickness drills and plyometrics, when you're on the court doing game situation moves and reps, there's a lot of stopping and starting and changing pace and changing speeds and changing directions and then jumping up into the air. These are like really heavy on your lower body. And so one in the weight room, lower body workout per week, two upper body workouts per week. There are so many ways to set this up. So I'm not going to go into this right now. Just make sure that you are gaining strength over, um, a long period of time that you're actually increasing the weight that you can lift um, over that period of time. So again, do your own research as a practitioner of training. I'm here to give you a template. You got to fill in the blanks. So two upper, one lower. <clears throat> in addition to this, deep game work five days per week at minimum. At minimum, this means your meditation practice, your reading, your contemplation uh, for players in the program. We have a journaling process that we do. Um, your study of these talks, things of this nature. You must be working on your mind, on the part of basketball that is played with the mind. Minimum five days per week. You can increase this to seven if you want. You're not going to, going to overtrain on this. So um, <clears throat> once again, five days per week is the minimum. Uh, one thing I forgot here, when we go back to our uh, four days per week game specific, skill, game specific skill workouts, we have our one repetition lighter workout in the middle of the week on Wednesday, one day per week, typically on a Saturday or um, it is better on a Saturday if you can take Sunday off before you start the next week. Uh, Saturday is the best day to do this on. You do um, just full court scrimmage day. So go to the court and play full court against the best competition you can find and just have fun, okay? Just play. <laughs> Don't think about, um, you know, getting extra workouts in around this time. Just go to the court and hoop, all right? Just hoop. Um, this is going to help integrate all of the work that you're doing on your skill set during the week. You're going to integrate all of this into real game scenarios and game situations in a full court setting on Saturdays. And then finally, you'll take Sunday off. Now, in addition to the deep game work that I mentioned before, one thing that I recommend doing, and uh, this is something that is really underrated actually, I recommend most players who are into this deep game work are tend to be very serious about their game and very like perfectionistic as I was myself. What I recommend that you do is take two days per week completely unscheduled. And I recommend doing this in the uh, on the weekends. It's easier to manage that way. On the weekends, do not schedule your days. Go about your day, wake up when you wanna wake up, wake up when your body naturally wakes up. Um, do what you feel like doing, within reason of course, like don't go super unhealthy and lay on the couch all day long, but actually just allow yourself, allow that discipline muscle to relax a little bit. And on the Saturday, you know, whenever the uh, opportunity comes to play full court and people are out there hooping, like just, just go out and hoop, again, for fun. Um, that's when you're actually gonna get the best results. When you go there with this agenda, um, you know, that's what the week is for. Go there and actually enjoy the game. Enjoy just playing. And throughout the rest of your weekend, optimize your days for enjoyment. What do I feel like doing? Do I wanna like bike around the neighborhood with my friends? Do I wanna play a little bit of NBA 2K? Do I wanna take a nap? Do I wanna um, eat some really good food? Do I wanna watch a movie? Just allow yourself to enjoy and actually take pleasure in the enjoyment. This is a really underrated thing. And when I started doing this, it opened up so much space psychologically for me. During my weeks, I could really uh, sink into the discipline of the work that I know needed to be done. And then during the week, it was like that discipline muscle just relaxed and allowed me to take pleasure in, um, in life. And that actually um, allowed me to take pleasure in the work during the week. And so this is a really underrated, as I've been saying over and over here. This is an underrated technique, if you want to call it that, uh, approach to uh, taking two days unscheduled per week. In addition to that, I'm not going to go into detail on this concept because we have a full talk about this, but I recommend taking two-week breaks every three to six months. And once again, I'm going to refer you over to, I, I think we 
we titled that complete guide to the two week break or something along those lines. This is a, a full like hour long talk that we have here at Deep Game. Make sure two week breaks every three to six months. And within the structure of your off season, this might look like a two week break right at the end of your season. So before you really dig into your off season training, take the two week break. And then late summer, usually for most players, like the last two weeks in August, take another two week break and then go into your preseason training, which is gonna look more or less like your off season training. Um, and that is it for off season training. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanna say here. Those two week breaks and the two, two days per week unscheduled, Again, do not underestimate the power of those things. I'm gonna refer you over to the two-week break talk. Um, and I, I believe that's it for off-season training. The only alteration that we make for our preseason, when you go back to school, and usually for most players, this is like September, October. And again, for you, days of the week, months, like how, how the schedule plays itself out, may be different for you just rearrange the days but like keep the general template the same doesn't matter if you work out on a monday or a tuesday your body doesn't care <laughs> just arrange it how it works for you but keep the flow of it um the uh arrangement so the order of the workouts more or less the same if you can the only change that we make to our preseason plan is that on Wednesdays, when you would normally do your repetition focus, like really light skill workout, we are going to do another full scrimmage day. Um, this is going to put a little bit more load on your body. And so we're going to reduce our four workouts per week. We're gonna reduce those from 60 to 90 minutes down to 45 to 60 minutes. And you're going to reduce the intensity a little bit as well. And uh, make sure that at least twice a week you are playing full court. This is going to do a lot to prepare you for the season to come. And then of course, at the end of those game specific skill workouts, you can still be playing half court as well. So you're getting a lot of real, um, like playing across from an opponent game situation training here. That's what you're gonna optimize for in the preseason. But our general template doesn't change all that much. It's not the time like right before the season starts to make radical changes to your approach. No, like continue on with what works. Just slide along the continuum a little bit from focusing just on your skill set to integrating that into game scenarios and get a little bit more um, actual playing experience during this time. Transitioning out of preseason into the season. This is where we adapt a lot. And adaptability is really the name of the game in season because if you're really forcing yourself to, to set a strict template and schedule here, you are going to run yourself into the ground. There are going to be times during your season where there's a workout on the schedule and you just need to rest. <laughs> you just need to do nothing. And if you are not adaptable and not listening to yourself, listening to your body, listening to your mind, then you are going to make a lot of mistakes and be really worn out by the time that uh, the end of the season rolls around or even the middle of the season, you're gonna hit a wall. So adaptability is uh, really the name of the game. Don't force anything here. And for that reason, I actually make our template a lot more fluid for players. This is a, a really nice and uh, I don't want to say easy, but fairly effortless way to set up your in-season training is simply that when you have team practices and team games, and this is assuming you're on a fairly heavy team schedule and that you are... Um, getting playing time. So if you're not getting any playing time, you might want to alter this, but assuming you're playing a lot, like our going back to my high school team, for example, we had two games during the week, every week, Tuesday, Thursday, we had team practices, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sometimes even on game days. And then on the weekends, most often we were at tournaments. And so that's a really loaded schedule to be able to fit in like your own individual skill work is very difficult. And uh, what I recommend you do is actually 20 to 30 minutes of your own individual work every time you have team practice. You can also do this on game days if you like, but this is work that's not super intense. We're not loading up our body. We're just getting, uh, we're sharpening the skill set. 
if you can fit in that 20 to 30 minutes, which is quite easy, just go to practice and really dedicate 20 to 30 minutes to your own individual work before or after practice, or maybe it's like 20 minutes before, 20 minutes after, or 15 before, 15 after. Just sharpen it, sharpen it, sharpen it over and over and over. And those 30 minute sessions, um, for most players, if you've got four practices a week, that's two hours of your own individual training. And then maybe you do another um, 20 minutes before or after each game that week. So that's adding another um, hour or something like that. And so it adds up quite a bit. This is a really, uh, I, I really, <laughs> I want to say this, this is coming to mind now. I know a lot of players are going to want to push that and stretch that a little bit longer resist that urge as much as you can if you feel like your body can really take it and you've got a lot of space and a lot of energy um, maybe stretch to 45 minutes or so after practice if you really want to get some real extra work in but just because you have the money doesn't mean you need to spend it <laughs> just because you feel really good and you feel like you've got energy doesn't mean you got to spend that energy right now the a <laughs> hard basketball season is a long journey and you want to keep some in the tank, like keep some money in the bank for later. So this is why we take it a little bit more easy and we say 20, 30 minutes around practice time every time you show up. That's going to amount to quite a bit and doing the work that you know you need to do for your own individual game that you're not going to be working on during practice. For me personally, this was a lot of repetition shooting, um, maybe a little bit of ball handling, a little bit of touch work, but a lot of like repetition shooting because we didn't get enough of that, I felt, in our team practices. For you, that might be different. It might be working on your perimeter moves or your finishing touch or whatever the case may be. Again, you need to know what your game needs more than anybody else does. In addition to that, I recommend uh, two full body work weight room workouts per week that are not heavy, so you're not maxing out and trying to set records here. We're doing mostly maintenance work on our body. And I used to think to myself, it was wishful thinking of course, but I used to think to myself like, oh yeah, I can I can make these big, pro, um, these big leaps in my muscle mass and in my strength during the season. Why not? I should just like lift weights the whole season. That was a disaster when I tried to do it, I promise you, and it didn't last long. I learned very quickly. Um, you've got to just maintain. You really do have to maintain. And uh, don't make your season the time that you're making big leaps in your weight room performance. So two full body workouts per week that are lighter. They're, you know, uh, eight to 12 rep range, even up to the 15 rep rep range. You don't want to go you don't really want to go below eight reps on on heavy lifts. Maybe you can do a little bit of that. It, it's a case-by-case -case basis, honestly. You want to be doing a lot of prehabilitation work, a lot of foam rolling and stretching, things of that nature around your weight room workouts. Um, you're not going to failure on every set. You're stopping one or two reps shy of failure because that hitting that point of failure is very stressful on your nervous system. And once again, we're not trying to make these big leaps in progress. You might actually backtrack a little bit during your season. That's okay. Two lighter full body workouts per week is good. Um, some weeks you're going to need one. Some weeks you're going to need none. <laughs> so again, adaptability. Listen to your body, what your nervous system needs. Know your schedule. If you've got a huge tournament and a bunch of games that week, maybe you don't lift at all, right? Or maybe you just lift once. This is the way that you become a practitioner of your own training. You listen to your body. You know the situation that you're in and you make adjustments on the fly, all right? Uh, once again, deep game work is done five days per week or every day if you want to. This is not the time to slack on your deep game work. This is going to be fundamental during your season. It's going to keep you even keeled. And this is where a lot of like big performance jumps can take place is because other people's minds go weak, they get distracted, uh, their focus gets fractured, they get emotionally charged. Any of these different things can happen. They get caught up in attachment to results. These things tend to happen during the season most frequently. And so if you can stay consistent with your deep game work during the season, everybody else is going to fall apart while you keep getting better and better and better and more and more focused. And while everybody else falls apart, you are like this solid rock. That's when you leap ahead of other people. And so 
make sure <laughs> five days per week at minimum, your meditation, your reading, all of the stuff that we talk about here, up to seven days per week, you're not gonna overtrain on that. Finally, two week break at Christmas time, if you can. I know some teams, they go away for tournaments and, and you don't have a two week break available to you. That's okay. Uh, two week break during the holidays, if you can. Uh, again, following the structure that we outlined in that two week break talk, that is really going to be a savior for you <laughs> during your season, I promise. It, it can kind of hit the reset button for you. And um, I, I strongly, strongly recommend doing that, okay? So I think that wraps up our template. Hopefully you caught all that. I hope you had a notebook out and you were taking notes because we went through a lot, off-season to pre-season to in-season. And then after the season, I'll mention one more time, take a two-week break right at the end of your season and then transition into your off-season training. Now, I wanna repeat this here. The key to making all this work truly is adaptability. And one of my favorite books, and um, there's a movie about it actually as well with Matt Damon, it's called The Martian. You might have seen this movie. The, the book is really, really good if you wanna check that out. But one of the things that he says in that book is no plan survives execution. <laughs> so as perfect as your plan may be set up, as, as strong as this template might be, when you actually start to execute on it and you, <laughs> try to impose this on the flow of your life things come up you know one day you may miss a workout one day you, one week you might have to rearrange the days you might need to push a workout back one day or pull it forwards one day um, any number of things might happen one day you might go to the gym and it's closed and then you're like what do I do now and so you've got to adapt and maybe on that day, um, there's an outdoor court and there's people playing. So you're like, okay, I'll do my full court run today. And you end up playing for an hour. And then on the Saturday, you do your, your game specific workout instead. Like any number of things might happen. Be okay with that. You don't have to do this perfectly. And as we said in the previous chapter, consistency over perfection is absolutely fundamental. So no plan survives execution. Expect to be adaptable and fluid with your approach as you go throughout this training plan. Do it to the best of your ability as we laid out, but once again, if you need to change the days of the week, it doesn't matter. Just do it consistently. And ultimately, if you, well, <laughs> this is a really important point as well. This doesn't just go for in-season. It goes for pre-season and off-season as well. If you need rest, if you genuinely need rest, take it or rather than saying take it, I should say give it to yourself as a gift, right? If you need rest, if your nervous system in your body is run down and you genuinely are like, <laughs> like I need to pull back a little bit, pull back a little bit, give yourself that rest and then come back to it. No plan survives execution anyway. You didn't need to do it perfectly. Um, give yourself that rest. And make sure though that as you give yourself this rest, you are not... Uh, tricking yourself into thinking that you need the rest out of laziness. And there's a little trick that one of our players came up with and he shared that I'm gonna, I'm gonna read to you his forum post when he did share this, because um, this is a, a really good way to know whether you're just being lazy and making excuses or you genuinely need the rest. So let me read his post to you. Um, I've got it written down here. So I've shared this before and I'll share it again here because it's relevant. Uh, this comes from Brian Lita. So his trick goes like this. Here's how to know if you're burned out or it's just resistance slash laziness slash I just don't want to do it syndrome. <laughs> if you don't feel like doing that workout, do it anyway. The feedback will tell you if you feel good about yourself after and you're energized, it was just your brain giving excuses. If you still feel like crap and it took everything out of you, then it's a good chance you are burned out. And when you use this little test and you just simply show up and do the workout anyway, you're going to know pretty quickly. So a lot of the time, the like when I lift weights, for example, there are days where I just don't feel like it. And I just worked all morning. I've been up since like 5 a.m. or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to go lift weights before lunch. But as soon as I actually get into the workout, my body warms up and my mind comes online and, and my nervous system comes online, it feels really good. And so if I had listened to that, it was just laziness and my mind making excuses. However, there are days where I'm like, I don't want to do it. And I go anyway, and I start lifting. 
and everything just feels heavier and nothing feels good, I stop it short and I give myself more rest. Maybe I take the following day off or make other arrangements, get more sleep, so on and so forth. There's lots of ways that you can reboot your system. Um, this talk isn't about that. Maybe another talk will get into that if you'd like. Um, but the point is, use that trick. And if you need rest, use that little test. And then if it turns out that it was true, you do need rest, give it to yourself, all right? So, Final words here as we wrap up. This was a long one and you did so, so well. And uh, this is really gonna serve you very well over the course of your career. So well done on putting the time in to get through this and taking in all of this information because hopefully, my hope anyhow, is that you have a much clearer picture of what hard work and work ethic really mean to you and the approach that you really should be taking in your game and uh, Frankly, this applies beyond basketball to anything that you do. The principles of consistency over perfection and discipline over motivation and enjoyment over struggle and um, see, cutting through the illusion of your ego and your emotional attached training and taking that approach of the scientist in a lab, um, you know, there to get a result rather to, than to get amped up and feel something. This whole philosophy can apply, be applied in every aspect of your life. And so that's what I hope that you do. Take this, apply it not only to your basketball career, but to everything that you do. And I hope it serves you so, so well. And the final thing that I want to say as we close here, my hope is that you finally allow yourself to enjoy the process of the training and the work that you're putting in. Because... If you're really committed to this and committed to anything for that matter, you're going to spend a lot of time doing it. <laughs> and so this is my invitation to you to stop struggling and grinding through the work that you're doing and actually sink into the pleasure and enjoyment and the, feel, the good feeling of doing that work. And when you do this, there's this beautiful turning point every, <laughs> every off season in my career when even when I was not doing the training the right way, there was this beautiful, beautiful turning point where the first couple weeks I was like kind of working my way into it. And then finally everything came online and I kind of worked myself into this lather, this rhythm of showing up at the gym every day and like seeing my weight room lifts go up little by little and just showing up consistently. And again, working myself into that like sort of gym rat mode. There's this beauty and enjoyment in it. And if you're really a true practitioner of basketball training and of this deep game work, then what will determine your long-term success more than anything else is your enjoyment of that process, all right? So that's my invitation to you as we close here. Enjoy the work that you're putting in. And if there's one thing that I would leave you with, it's that. Our fundamental philosophy here at Deep Game on work ethic and really on every aspect of basketball is that it can feel good. It can be pleasurable and enjoyable. This journey should be one that you love, not one that you hustle and grind and struggle through, but one that you deeply, deeply love. And that is my wish for you, okay? So I hope that you carry this with you. I hope this serves you well, and I will see you in the next one. Hey, it's Coach Taylor. I hope you enjoyed today's talk. And if you did, the best thing to do right now while it's fresh in your mind is head over to deepgame.com or click the link around this video and it'll take you to our free one-hour masterclass where you'll actually learn all eight laws of the deep game and all of the fundamentals that you need to know about the part of basketball that is played with the mind. This is really mandatory for high-level basketball players and we've had multiple players call this the best hour of basketball learning of their lives. So that's my pitch to you. Go ahead and uh, head over to deepgame.com right now. Take that masterclass. Again, it's totally free of charge and I think it's going to be so powerful for you.